theguardian.co.uk. This podcast is produced in association with Guinness, official beer of the RBS Six Nations. Hello again after a thrilling first weekend of the 2011 Six Nations Championship. I'm Robert Kitson and I'm the Guardian's Rugby Union Correspondent. Two fascinating and taut games in Cardiff and Rome, followed by a memorable tango in Paris between France and Scotland. The England and Wales match in Cardiff was always going to be significant, but the French and the Scots are both up the ante. And how close were Italy to scoring that historic win over Ireland? With me to talk about it uh, here in the studio, we have a number of sages, a whole herb garden of them in fact. On my left is the Guardian uh, sports editor, Ian Pryor. And over on my right, it's the Observer's Michael Aylwin, who was in the Stade de France on Saturday evening. Uh, and on the line from South Africa, we've got the former Wales and Lions flanker, John Taylor. Uh, can you hear me, John? I can indeed, loud and clear. <laughs> Let's take that English win over Wales first. Uh, I mean, it just didn't happen for Wales, did it? Well, it didn't. I mean, I thought it was a good battle. The problem with Wales, we always know with Wales, is that they haven't got that strength in depth. And the moment that we lost Gethin Jenkins and Adam Jones, I felt we were just going to be on the back foot. The most disappointing thing about Wales, I felt, in the autumn was they were on the front foot and not winning. I thought the backs were beckoned that this time, but I think it was under 40% possession in the first half, and that made life difficult for them. I don't know if you saw what Barry John had to say on the subject of Welsh rugby over the weekend. Some of the phrases I've got here is bleak as I've ever known it, clueless and bland, a team devoid of adrenaline, personality and nous. It seems that we play the game by numbers and no one has a clear idea of how to break patterns. He hasn't exactly minced his words. I mean, either way, there's a lot of work still to do for Warren Gatland, isn't there? Oh, but, no, I mean, there certainly is. And uh, I think Barry's, uh, in typical Barry fashion, painting the bleakest picture of the lot. And he's right to the extent that things... I think, a pretty bad confidence-wise in the Welsh team. I mean, this run of losses is growing and growing. And things like kicking the ball away when you've got 15 to their 14. And remember that play immediately before half-time, where Shane Williams, of all people, went for a chance and, you know, a lucky bounce of one in a hundred instead of actually building again and maybe setting up one more play when Wales had a chance to score. Uh, I don't think things are quite that bleak. Um, there are people sort of coming back, and Wales have still got a bit of flair behind, but they really have to sort of step up. And that's not going to be easy in Scotland next week. It's really not. No, absolutely. And we've got to give England uh, credit in all this. Um, Michael, I mean, was this the day that Toby Flood came of age as England's number 10? Uh, I'm not sure I'd make uh, that much of it. I mean, I, I'd give him his due. I think um, he's been gradually building into this uh, role, uh, filling those mighty boots of uh, Wilkinson's for some time now. I mean, he's a wonderfully unflustered character. Uh, that shows just in the 80 minutes on the field, uh, the way he looks about him, sees what's on and uh, reacts accordingly. But also the way he has gradually um, improved uh, since he has been given the uh, shirt on more than just a part-time basis. And I just think this is the latest step on uh, his 
what is a gradual uh, improvement. Yeah, I mean, but his partnership with, with, with Ben Young is both Leicester, of course. I mean, that's the hub of what England are trying to do, isn't it? I mean, they look to me, so they benefited from playing together at club level. And just the way, as you say, Toby Flood's looking up, he's, he's, he's alert. And I think that's something perhaps that England have, have perhaps lacked in the past. Yeah, and I think Ben Young's is, again, another embodiment of uh, what this, if we can be so dramatic as to call it a New England, brings uh, to the party. The way he has just burst onto the scene looked totally at ease and is not afraid to look around and see what's on and go for it. Uh, it's really very impressive. We haven't seen that from a scrum half since perhaps the days of Dawson and Bracken. Ian, what did you think of England? I mean, uh, is, there, is there any sign of the gap between North and Southern Hemisphere uh, narrowing? Hard to know based on that one. I mean, the, the thing that impressed you about England on Friday night was that they, they looked at all times comfortable. I mean, despite that, the, the little rally in the second half, you never thought that was a game they were in danger of losing. And even despite a number of injuries in the pack, they, they're now looking like the kind of squad that can, that can generate proper replacements in the right places at the right time, which is not a quality you would have said they've had in the last few years. Um, they're looking increasingly a settled team, comfortable in what they're doing with a very good basic structure to their game. And that's, that's probably the most heartening thing that they'll have taken from that game. We'll see if that structure holds when they go to when they play France, when they play Ireland. Both both will be harder tests, I think, than Wales managed. As for where they are against the Southern Hemisphere, well, you you still got to take Autumn as the benchmark to that. Capable of it in one game burst, perhaps. Could they beat three of them in a World Cup campaign? More <laughs> unlikely, you'd have thought. <laughs> Depends where you're playing. I think yeah. probably isn't it. Uh, John, I mean, England's now got Italy uh, at home next weekend. But what about Wales who go to Murrayfield? Don't they to face up steadily improving Scotland? Like, what do you think of their prospects up there? I'm really worried about it because I thought Scotland played wonderfully well against France. I thought France was superb, and Scotland not that far behind. And they found a couple of players who I think are awesome. I thought Richie Gray in particular is come on so quickly and so well mm. that they're suddenly getting themselves into a situation where we knew they had a pretty strong pack. Okay, the front row went a bit backwards against France, but I think that was probably more superb France than anything else, and they won't be that tested against Wales. And I think Wales are really, really going to have to go for it up in Scotland. The thing that impressed me probably most about that game, the France-Scotland game, was the pace at which it was played all the way through. I thought it was absolutely terrific. I really enjoyed it as a game of rugby. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if you think back to your career against France, what was the best French team you played against? There were some pretty fine ones. I played against their first ever Grand Slam winning side, and they were pretty awesome. Again, the right mix. It's very easy in France. You want some real sort of garlic munching nasties up front, <laughs> and then sublime sort of skills behind. And they've got that mixture again. I thought the props. The, the whole front row. I mean, Servat was probably the best of a lot of them. I, I thought they were terrific, and uh, they just keep coming up with these guys, don't they? Well, do you reckon that the current lot of garlic munchers can uh, do the Grand Slam this season now? Well, I think it's possible. I, I think England are starting to come good. I agree with the point that the guys were making, that they're starting to look more comfortable, and that's important. They've certainly got the sort of armoury to stand up to France, but I do think that um, the French, if they are sort of back from their walkabouts uh, against Australia completely, and they look to have the focus, they look to have the team spirit, they look to have everything, um, they could do it. I've, I've got uh, no doubts. I, I think it's actually a terrific first weekend all around because I thought Italy should have beaten Ireland. The two countries who I would be a bit worried for, and if I were part of the setups, I'd be worried would be Ireland and Wales, who I thought looked a little left behind. Well, Scotland, Italy, France and England, 
could all look at that and say that was pretty good. John Taylor, thank you very much. Well, that leads us on to the Paris Cavalcade, and we're now joined on the line by Jean Cormier, the veteran rugby correspondent and author of the annual Livre d'Or, the Golden Book of Rugby. Hello, hello. I'm here. I'm with you, all of you. Are you uh, what did you think of the, the game on Saturday? For me, it was a really interesting game, because after the huge defeat against uh, the Wallabies of Australia, we didn't know what would happen. And uh, I think the, we have a, now the, the French team is back, uh, they, they have a, quite a good game. I wouldn't say a real good game, but they came back from so far. Uh, uh, I did enjoy that game, and uh, it's a positive for the future. What do you think was the, the difference, uh, Jean? Was it uh, Lievremont got a, a good selection, or was there a, a mental change amongst the players? It's a good question, because uh, Lievremont has changed himself. Now he's a real boss. Before he has to to deal with uh, Entamac, who is a really uh, excellent trainer too, but he's not easy to have two heads. The third guy is uh, Rotier, just a guy for the the scrum. And as you see and you know, the scrum is doing well. He's really Alphine in the French team. Between Yevremont and Entamac, they have not exactly the same way to see things. Now the full boss is Lievremont, is just one voice for one team. I, I, I really think it's much better. Oh, that's interesting. I, I also have, uh, Jean, have Mike Erwin in the, in the studio who was at the Stade de France on Saturday. Michael, you drew that short straw and had to spend the weekend in Paris. How, how good did you think France yes. were? And what do you think uh, was, was, was the difference from previous times? Well, I'm tempted to say they just woke up in a good mood and uh, things snowballed from there. Also, I think it's fair to point out that, you know, last time they played together, um, it was a hell of a hiding they got. And there's a, there's always a mantra in sport, isn't there, that this, this bounce back ability, as they now call it. And by God, no one's ever had to bounce back from quite as big a hiding as France so inexplicably suffered. I mean, it, half an hour of just complete carnage. But what was most impressive about them, I think, well, obviously the scrum was great, but uh, it's the precision with which they identify uh, weaknesses in the opposition defence and they just they go with such focus and such speed at those. I mean, the difference between them and Scotland, who you know, just sort of swung the ball around a lot, looked very confident in their handling, but they were sort of doing it as if they were waiting for something to happen, not really knowing where that thing was going to come. Um, France, on the other hand... You know, saw exactly where the weakness was, and they went straight for it. And bang, bang, there's a try. Yeah, Mike, I, mean, I, I did think Scotland were a little bit unlucky, though, weren't they, to run straight into that, that speeding locomotive? You know, in many ways. I mean, who caught your eye from their point of view? Uh, well, uh, I think Joe Ansbro played very well. I mean, only his third cap, I think it is now. And the other impressive thing about that is that he's hardly been playing Northampton. I mean, he can't get into the Northampton starting lineup. So to have come on the angles he ran, put in a lovely. Deaf pass for uh, the third try that Sean Lamont scored. So that's encouraging for Scotland. Uh, Richie Gray's obviously been mentioned. And I think John Barkley is always, mm. you know, he's just the excellence of that open side uh, continues. I thought you said death pass there for a minute. I thought that was the... Uh, that was where. Sean, I, I mean, there's no doubt the, the, the current French side has talent. Um, but the, the, the question is consistency. Can they sustain it? Yes, talents for sure. We saw Meda is a real, uh, it's a, a jewel. It's a, a kind of a big, big talent, you know. You, you have Ashton in England, uh, and uh, Meda is the same kind of players. He's playing wing, but he's playing uh, like a fullback and sometimes like a centre. So it's really, really uh, a joker, a good joker for the French team. 
Uh, one of the problem, big problem, is in the center. Both center didn't play really, 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 really well. We have Josian back, and Josian, I uh, think, is a, a real key man for the next game and against uh, against England if he will play it, uh, because he's a uh, he's a powerful man, he's clever, really clever man. He's not really fast, but. Uh, he, he, he used the speed of the others. He mm-hmm. makes he makes playing well the the attack. I, I think it would be interesting to see the French team with Josian back on Saturday in Dublin. Absolutely. And and just finally, Jean, it's a World Cup year. Can you see France kicking on from here and and really having a, a fantastic year? Mm, I wouldn't say that. This French team uh, is a new body and a new spirit. So we will see what happens against the fighting spirit of our friend Irish. First, that will be important. The key, men of, the key things of that story will be uh, our O'Driscoll uh, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the Irish centers are so good, so strong and uh, so elegant and so everything. Uh, and uh, the French team have been weak and just in that part of the, in the game, in the, in, the, in, the, in the midfield. And uh, uh, if uh, the French team could win with this strong, strong scrum and uh, good back row and a uh, few good players, if that la mayonnaise prend we say in france in français uh, in french la mayonnaise uh, when you, you you fix something to to for for the food you have the mayonnaise and uh, you miss it or you you have it strong if you we have a strong mayonnaise uh, in uh, dublin after the french team will be ready to for the big fight in uh, twickenham because that's fight is absolutely important, really, hugely important, because it's not impossible that the, the frogs and uh, the English players will uh, meet uh, themselves in the quarterfinal in the World Cup. So, uh, really important to have a good game for the French in Twickenham. Absolutely. Jean, fantastic. <laughs> Looking forward to the mayonnaise already. Uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you very much for joining okay. us. Bye-bye. St- bye-bye. Ian, can Ireland stop the French at source, as they'll have to next weekend? A couple of things to say about Ireland. Um, first of all, there have been notoriously slow starters in this competition for quite a while now. I don't think they'll be nearly, won't stink nearly as much as they did in Rome, which was quite a stink. I mean, the, the other excuse to make on their behalf is that if you, if you look at the players who weren't playing, for example, Kearney, Bow, Trimble, Ferris, Heaslip, that's um, six it's first. It's a guts of a side, isn't it? That they're, they're all starters for Ireland in my book, you know, mm. um, and they're not the All Blacks. They can't afford to lose resource like that. Mm. If they got three of those players back, you could see a very a, a very different team. And if you, you know, if you look at the ones who kind of re- replace some of them, let's say the the Dennis Leamy's... Um, Sean O'Brien, you know... Sean know. O'Brien, who didn't have a terrible game and is one, is one for the future, but, but I mean, the, the team in Rome look, looked a bit... F- Given the respective form of the two leading provinces, look far too monster for its own good. Yeah. And what do we think about the? I mean, the Viva Stadium. It's it's the old Lansdowne Road, but it's not quite. Is there any sort of it's still slightly alien surroundings, or it's not quite like Croke Park? Croke Park, in the end, became a bit of a fortress, didn't it? Croke, Croke Park was became a very natural home from home from them, and I think the the problem with the Aviva Stadium is that due to a quite offensive ticketing policy on behalf of the RFU, you know, they've made a lot of people very angry there, and that, and that does feed into atmosphere. You know, if mm-hmm. people think think they've overpaid for every, for their seat, if they think they've overpaid for their drink, for their sandwich, all of that works into to the kind of resentment that doesn't mm-hmm. encourage, you know, huge outpourings of emotion. The feel, the feel good factor for a team. So, you, like. you know, 
No, absolutely. Well, we shall see. Michael, Scotland can't win the Grand Slam, of course, but uh, there is still a triple crown available. Uh, they'd fancy home games against Wales and Ireland, wouldn't they? Uh, yes. Um, I don't think it's going to be as simple as that, though. I mean, I, part of the problem might be that they'll actually be favourites uh, in both those games. I don't suppose there'll be much in it uh, either way. I think we've always preferred the Scots when no one gives them a prayer. That's when they rise to it. With the weight of expectation, I mean, they are quite rightly being talked about as probably the most improved team in the championship. You know, that will put a lot of pressure on that. You know, the Welsh and the Irish, both of them have got so much talent that if it clicks for them on the day, then they could quite easily beat Scotland, even in Murrayfield. I, I, I don't think Ireland were nearly as bad, actually. I mean, if, if they'd caught the ball, if they'd stopped dropping it, I think they'd have won quite easily on uh, Saturday. Um, Gordon Darcy dropped the ball more times than he must have done in his entire career, I think. And with a pack that wasn't exactly dominant, um, I thought they showed some incision. And uh, as Ian says, when they get those um, other key players back, then they'll be a handful for anybody, I would have thought. In keeping with this whole championship, I, th- I mean, they, Scotland could get a triple crown, could they? But, I mean, it's wide open, I think, still. <laughs> Sounds like your wallet is in your pocket, by the time. <laughs> well, um, yes. Ian, the, the Italy, I mean, it would be... Perfect. They'd love another game in Rome now this weekend. They'd love England to be coming there. They haven't. They've got to come to Twickenham. Do we think there's any realistic chance of them uh, winning at Twickenham? Not really. It's you know it's, it's the worst possible fixture for them to to, to follow up with. Um, you know, um, it's very very hard to see a team with England's composure giving anything away against Italy. I mean, the, the, what what I really felt for Italy and the, the kind of the key moment in that game in Rome came just after they scored the try when the kick off went up and officially had held onto that. But, ball game over and that's the difference between a scrappy team of limited talent trying to snatch one away from a bigger team on a bad day and a team who's been around a bit to know that they can you know they can just sweat those out it, it, in the end it comes down to catching one ball mm-hmm. um, and I, th- I think they've probably missed their chance of an upset this time around yeah possibly I mean so Michael are we saying they're going to get the wooden spoon or do you see something different uh I'd, I'd be surprised if they don't. I mean, as Ian says, they're going away to uh, Twickenham. They're not likely to get much joy there. I mean, I suppose they've got Wales. They've got Wales at home. At home. Uh, they've got France at home. No. Yeah, well, France then always seem Scotland to enjoy away. themselves at Rome almost more than they do when they play Italy in Paris. Um, so I would imagine France would win that. I mean, what Wales, you know... I don't want to repeat myself, but you just don't know what's going to turn up. Um, if, Wales get, if Wales get sucked into an Italian-style game, they, they, they could be in big trouble yeah. there. You know, but yeah. I mean, if, if, they, if they start moving it with the sort of facility that Ireland showed, even though they kept dropping the thing, mm. you know, they could cut Italy apart. I mean, Italy are benefiting from their time in the Magnus League, but they've still those two Italian sides have taken some big poundings in uh, the mm. uh, Heineken Cup. Um, a lot of the forwards as well aren't playing uh, a huge amount of rugby at the moment at the highest level. I mean, they are still vulnerable, I think, um, mm. even if if it doesn't happen for the opposition, they can give them a rough old time. Yeah, I think the, I think the trick is they need their best side out, don't they? And yeah. their scrum half, it looked promising scrum half yeah. out, and he looks, uh, his shoulder didn't look at all good, looked probably out for the championship. Yeah. Parise, we hear, might be... Uh, might well, be... if Parise goes down, they're in real trouble. Yeah, we'll see. So around the table, after the opening weekend, who are we now backing for the championship? Uh, anybody got France for the Grand Slam? No. No? Ian, what do you think? No, France come unstuck at Twickenham. I think, you know, home, ve- home venue's going to swing it this year. Well, I think the, fr- the thing with the French, that second try Scotland scored just shows that that virus in their system that allows them to go down 59-16 at home is still there. I mean, it was the most painfully 
a scandalous try to concede. It was just a simple tap. He, he took, mm. It took about three seconds for the ball to get back to the mark. It was obvious what he was going to do. They were all lined up ready for it. He taps it, chucks it to the nearest bloke who looks up, sees a try line, runs towards it, and no one touches him. Yeah. I mean, that does not bode well. No, well, we'll soon find out. It's, 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 I think, for what it's worth, that England have showed that mental strength, that, that developing hardness, yeah. if you like, to win games away from home in pretty tough environments. France... I don't think I think that's still to be proven. So for that reason, I think I'd still go with England. But uh, we well, shall see. They've got see. three home games coming out, haven't they? Absolutely. So if they win those, absolutely. I'm not sure it's a grand slam for anyone, though. I think. England yeah, drop, it would be fitting if it wasn't. Way. I think. So you think Ireland to beat England in the final match here? Yeah. I wouldn't rule that out. Yeah, definitely don't rule that out. <laughs> Didn't think you would. Well, I'm looking forward anyway to a gripping second weekend as well. My thanks to those who've joined in the conversation uh, online, actually, as well. Feel free to do the same this week and tell us uh, what rubbish we're talking. We'll be back on the website with another show next Tuesday. But for now, my thanks to John Taylor, John Cormier, Michael Aylwin and Ian Pryor. I'm Robert Kitson and our producer is Tim Maybe. Goodbye for now. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Visit our special website to win tickets for you and your mates, plus watch player videos and join in live web chats at guardian.co.uk slash guinness rugby 2011. Get your mates together for a Guinness this RBS Six Nations.